alibi. Origin late 17th century as an adverb in the sense of elsewhere, from Latin elsewhere. The noun use dates to the late 18th century. Elsewhere is where I live and where I travel. Through the gloom and between the moments, I visit places, people, and occasionally things. I listen to their dreams, their desires, and I keep their secrets. And yes, sometimes I am their excuse. Hello. Imagine seeing you here. It might be a little bit weird for you. Kind of like seeing your teacher out of school when you were a kid. But yes, I do need to get out of the tent sometimes. Especially on days like today. On the second, Punxsutawney Phil didn't see a shadow. Which meant spring comes early. Yesterday, we get our first real snowfall, snowstorm of the season. So here I am, mingling with the cafe crowd. I feel a little bit of an imposter, but thankfully, they're accepting of tea drinkers here. Were you staying or were you getting a to-go cup? Oh, well, feel free to sit down. This is a nice little cafe. I like the fact that there's a bookstore. I like having the option of wandering out of the cafe into the world of books. It makes everything a little bit more cozy. But today is also the full moon. The quickening moon in Leo. Fame-loving Leo. Power. Success. Or just confidence. It's also a Sunday. It's an excellent day with it being a full moon for giving thanks or doing any positive or healing work. It's also the last day of the demon Dantalion, Duke Dantalion. He helps to reveal the secret thoughts of people by teaching you how to notice little tells, watching body language. He also teaches emotional intelligence and helps others to be more empathetic. Empathy is a funny thing. The current trend is to give the impression that empathy is a burden. That empaths are overwhelmed with the feelings of others. But empathy is a very powerful tool. And it doesn't have to be draining. It can lead the empath to sources of power or help. It doesn't have to just be a burden. I remember just a few years ago, I was here in this very cafe. I was painting objects to put in my shop. And I noticed a woman noticing me. It's not rare. I had already been approached by several people curious about what I was doing. Some just curious because of my appearance. But this woman was different. 
she walked down amongst the books and made several trips in front of the cafe stairs. Just looking, I continued working away, waiting to see if she worked up her nerve or if she would give in and walk away. Me knowing all of this, however, didn't prevent me from being surprised by the woman coming up to me because I was in the middle of a phone call. So I had to do the putting the finger in the air and asking her to wait while I finished my call. When I finished my call and put my phone back down, I invited her to sit down. She quickly did and immediately went in to explaining that she had been drawn over to me and wondered if I by any chance gave readings. I looked at the woman and I smiled and I asked her why she would ask that just out of curiosity. The woman acted as if she had had three espressos. Everything came out at a hundred miles an hour. I smiled and did my best to get her to relax. I took in her appearance. Her age was hard to pinpoint. And for me, it is of no consequence. But she looked like a woman who was definitely old enough to have grown children who possibly had children of their own. She was a working woman. She looked as though she worked outside. Not with animals. There are a lot of people in my area who work with animals. There are areas that are very agrarian. But she looked more as if she were a woman who worked, possibly driving truck, loading and unloading items on a trailer. I try not to pry, even though people come to me, and I'm not exactly thinking that I'm going to be giving a reading in the middle of a cafe. I try not to pry about people's personal lives. They do for a living. What their roles are with their families or their personal relationships. I try to keep it one-on-one, just between me and them. But my efforts in this area were a little bit for naught because she immediately started talking about her son and her husband and her husband's lack of support in her seeking a consultation. I wanted to make sure that she was comfortable in what she was doing and it wasn't just a reaction toward this lack of support. But she was confident that this is what she wanted to do. I asked her when she would like to schedule a reading and what kind she would like. And she looked shocked and said, I thought no. And I explained that I did not, in fact, have any tarot cards or any of my divination tools with me. I explained to her that in person, on such short notice, I could give her a palm reading or I could do my version of a cold reading, which, amongst many entertainment channel psychics, A cold reading is also known as a gallery reading, which is what I do not do. I do understand the premise of it, having been instructed in how it works by a blue-eyed shyster that I met. Guessing a letter and getting a gallery full of people 
to scream, yes, I have somebody with the first name starting with G. Or my uncle was born in March. Or he was born on the 7th. That is a gallery or a cold reading. What I call a cold reading is a bit like going on a blind date with somebody that you met in a chat room, then having a one-night stand with them seconds after you first lay eyes on them. Risky, yes, and possibly violent and scarring. I explained to the woman what my version of a cold reading was, and I asked her which one she seemed more comfortable with. She wanted a palm reading, but she didn't know if it would give her the answers that she was looking for. Since she had calmed down a bit, this was my opportunity to find out what exactly her question was. She explained that she had lost her son less than a year prior. It was unexpected. She didn't give the details of the death, but I knew, and she believed that he was at peace and in a good place. But there was the matter of his child. The woman that he was living with, they had had a child about three years prior. There never were any tests to prove paternity, but her son claimed the child and was raising her as his own, and she accepted the child as her grandchild. But since his death, the mother of the child had been hesitant to even allow the grandmother to talk to her on the phone, let alone see her in person. And she wanted to know for sure if the child was her son's. But she was afraid to ask the question outright. I could have said no, or I could have advised her to get the reading later, when she had thought it over, or possibly when she had tried her husband again, see if he would be willing to change his mind and possibly join in the reading. But she was determined and said that she felt that if she didn't do it then, that for some reason she may not get a chance to do it at all. I took a few moments, feeling her energy, just a bit, and I asked her if she would mind if we did a blending of the two, almostry and my version of a cold reading. She said that that would be fine, and then asked what she would have to do. I told her that it would not be difficult to do, but I asked her if she was comfortable doing it in such a public place, because once it started, there would be very little doubt as to what was being done at the little table. She said she had no worries, did not care if anybody she knew came in or saw her getting the reading, she had been open with everybody in her family and in her circle. I reminded her that it might not be people that know her that might make comment. Perfect strangers felt perfectly justified in making their opinions known. She gave me a colorful reply and we moved on. I asked her to put her hands on the table, face down, and then face up. I asked her to relax, and then I asked her if she would be comfortable if I touched her. She said that she was, and so I began, I began less of a poem reading and more of a spa treatment. 
some of the massage motions that are done when you receive a manicure. She did not know that what I was doing was testing the water, so to speak, dipping my toe in and seeing if her energy was going to be particularly draining or if there were any energies tied to her that would be draining, harmful, or possibly worse. Within the first couple of effleurages along the perimeter of her thumb, I picked up on her son, and he was not happy. He was watching over the proceedings, angry at his mother, not so silently willing her to stop, to just stop, turn around, and walk out of the cafe. I glanced up at her, confirming that she had neither heard nor felt him. This made her nervously ask, what did I see? Was it something bad? And I smiled and informed her that there was nothing bad. I was just making sure how she was doing, trying to make it comfortable for her. And her impatience popped up, and she quickly reassured me that she was fine. She was a grown woman, and she knew what she was doing. And she trusted me to not do anything to harm her, and didn't believe that I could if I tried. I smiled, went back to my silent inspection. The sun, frustrated, paced behind her and cursed. He was very not happy. I stopped the palmistry effleurage manicure and I asked her to set her hands in mine and then asked her to talk about her granddaughter. As I listened to her, her son just stared at me. He was so angry and scared. And I sadly understood what it is that I would have to tell this woman. I listened and I inquired, hoping that possibly what he was angry about the most was telling her why he died. But that wasn't what he was the most afraid of. The daughter wasn't his, but he did not want his mother to believe for a second that the child that she had made a part of her life and believed to be part of her only son was not, in fact, his. When she finished talking, I asked her to sit back and just let her hands lay in her lap or wherever she felt comfortable. And we embarked in a discussion about her pseudo-daughter-in-law. I instructed her that her daughter-in-law was not as defenseless or as loving as she and her husband had thought. And that she definitely had plans, which is why she was not in contact with them, nor did she want her daughter to be. I instructed her to talk with her husband and have a talk with herself about how much time, emotion, and money she was willing to invest in trying to get contact with her granddaughter while she was still little. And I told her that children don't stay children forever. When this child 
gets to be a certain age, the questions are going to come of the mother. Every child learns how to distinguish if a parent is lying to them. I assured her that there was going to be a time when this child was going to demand answers. And if her mother wasn't willing to give them to her, she would find them on her own. And that when that day came, this child was going to come looking for this woman and her husband. I told her that I did not know what her finances were, but I strongly advised that she talk with her husband because this woman was not going to back down. And it would take lawyers and a lot of money for them to get access to their grandchild. And if that was the way that they wanted to go, that they needed to be prepared. Her son's past, his lifestyle, the woman's lifestyle, there were going to be things that she and her husband may find out that they had no idea about. But that in the end, they also had to think about their retirement and their quality of life. Patience will out the truth, but did she have the patience? Wow, so thankful for tea. Well, I can tell you that at the end of my suggestion, the son had backed down. He hadn't gone away, but he had quit pacing and grumbling. He didn't thank me, but he was relieved. She thanked me when she realized that that was all that I was going to be able to offer her at this point. I told her that I did see her son, and I let her know that her son was not at all happy about her being there with me and doing what she was doing. She was not at all surprised. She says, I have no delusions about my son. I knew who he was, and I'm guessing who he still is, but I'm also his mother. And there's nothing anybody can tell me, not you or anyone else, that will change how I feel about my son. This was not what he wanted to hear. He was not at all surprised. And I told her that I thought that she had a very good head on her shoulders. And that a lot of people, upon getting this news, would be a little bit shaken up. Or at least more emotional possibly scared and she was confused and very judgmental about why people would be scared or nervous and I could see where some of her son's attitude and demeanor had came from we finished up and I suggested again that she talk with her husband and think over her plan I gave her my card and I told her that she could make an appointment for a phone consultation or another in person and let me know what they had decided or how they felt or that if I did not hear from them, I would understand. She smiled and surprisingly slipped her hand in a pocket and came out of her pocket clutching money which she forcefully put in my hand I did not look at how much it was, and I assured her that she did not have to do that. She assured me that she did, and she took put the card in the same pocket where she had the money, and 
We said our goodbyes, and she left. About a week later, I heard from her. Her husband and her had tentatively decided that they trusted their son if their son did not want them to pursue legal proceedings against the woman that they were going to display the patience that I had talked about and do their best to use their finances and their resources to make the home that they have as inviting and comforting as they could for the day when their grandchild came to the door wanting answers. But this comes back to empathy. The woman wanted to know not about the paternity of the child, but about the validity of them pursuing legally grandparent rights to the child. I think the woman had already made up her mind that the grandchild was hers, no matter what anybody would have said. But I think if she were confronted with the clinical truth of it, and I gave a hypothetical question to her about if she were to find that the grandchild was not her blood, would it make a difference? It would have, but not in how they cared for the child, but she knew it could possibly limit the access they had to the child. She didn't know that I knew that. So, me telling her affirmatively, due to the contact that I had with her son, that the child was not his, would not have changed her direction, but it would have made her feel limited and anxious. So I didn't tell her about the paternity simply to hide something from her or to be deceptive. I did it out of respect for a hardworking woman, mother, and wife that had suffered an unimaginable loss of her child and was asking for permission to make a decision. And my decision and what I told her was a symptom of empathy. Oh, you're getting a call. Well, it was awfully nice getting to see you in the real world. Hopefully in the future we'll be able to share another cup of tea. Bye-bye for now. Somewhere between the mundane and the mysterious, the privileged and the primitive, the divine and the damned, is the alibi tent.